Today's scripture reading is from John chapter 6, verses 53 through 56. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning, Redemption Tucson. My name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at uh, our congregation, and I just want to say good morning, and uh, I'm glad for us to gather together like this and be able to get into God's word together. I, again, acknowledge and recognize this isn't ideal. In fact, some of the elements even of our service that you've all you've experienced, um, we've had to kind of throw a, a, a curveball with, and, and uh, uh, it's not the way we would like it, but Lord willing, uh, the, the sun is coming up soon, and we're working toward a day where um, we can be back together in person soon. Um, with that, though, I want to just acknowledge, uh, even for those who are right now in this room where I am, and, and you're not seeing them, but you're experiencing the, the especially the AV Team, all of you who work on that team have been so faithful and, and serving um, so diligently this season. While many of us are just at home, and this is actually, you know, we've kind of had to pull back. Um, they've actually worked even harder, and and you know, putting these videos together and making us able to do this um, has taken quite a bit of work from a, a number of folks that that we don't see up front. So I just want to thank them. If you'll even join me in just thanking them, um, wherever you are, uh, if you know anyone on that team, shoot, shoot them a text. And I also just want to say uh, hello to the kids. I know in our home last week, I remembered that uh, that this this time is, is difficult. And I just want to tell all the kids, um, a number of you are going through my mind right now. I just, I can see you and just want to say we're, we're glad you're here and also use whatever kind of pastoral voice and authority I have to tell you now it's time to settle in right now, whether you're coloring or whatever, but okay, chill out so your parents can, uh, can, can, can focus in here on God's word. All right. Amen. Did I stutter? Yes, I did. That's right. You can, you can laugh at that. I don't know if I even mentioned that. I have a stutter, so um, that'll come in and out as we go. But uh, let's get into John chapter 6 together. We're going to be in verses 22 through uh, 59. And, and, and this week, we're, we're kind of picking up where we were last week. And we'll actually do the same next week. It's kind of a long series that all goes goes together. But um, just to kind of give us some, 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 some ways to walk through this, here's what we're going to see in these verses this morning, is we're going to see this. Seek Jesus, surrender to Jesus, and then eat and drink Jesus. All right, let's pray together as we get into his word. Heavenly Father, we, we love you, and we... Um, come before you and before your word right now, recognizing our, our need for you. Um, even if some at home don't, don't have that posture or, or maybe some haven't put their faith in you yet, I, I pray and trust that through your Holy Spirit, through your scriptures, we will um, come to know you for some for the first time and, and all of us in a, a new and, and shaping 
way. And so we, we pray that the, that the thoughts of our hearts and the words of our mouths will be acceptable in your sight, O oh, oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Have you, have you ever heard these profound words? I would walk 500 miles. I would walk 500 more. I would walk 500 miles just to be the one to show up at your door. Isn't that deep? No, that's from a, a 1980s Scottish band, The Proclaimers. Okay, perhaps you've, you've uh, heard it before. But that's like a lot of declaration, right? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do all this stuff. And it seems like it's coming from a good place. But that, that last part of it actually right, reveals the real motive. I want to be the one to show up at your door, right? I'm going to, I'm going to outrun everyone else because I've got a plan. I've got an agenda, right? And we, we looked at that last week that people continue to come before Jesus with this agenda. And we see that that continues in the first part of John chapter six. Just go ahead and pick up with me there, or John chapter six, verse 22 there, right? After last week, if you remember what happened, the crowds tried to force Jesus to be their king, right? That might seem like a good thing, but it was because of their own personal agenda. And Jesus wanted no part of it. He left, he went into the mountains and then his disciples left, right? And they went across the sea and a giant storm came up and Jesus walked across the water and they were afraid because they saw his authority. Then he got into the boat with them and then all of a sudden they transported over to land. And that's where we now pick up and the people look around. They're like, hey, where's Jesus? They see all the boats. The boats aren't there. And and then verse um, picking up with me now, they, they come chasing after Jesus. It's in, in verse 24. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples. They themselves got into the boats and they went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. But again, we're, we're picking up from last week. They're seeking Jesus for their own gain, their own agenda. And Jesus isn't fooled, right? He calls them out on it. They have a political agenda, Right? They want to force Jesus to be their king, so he will then step up and finally overthrow Rome. And, and again, Jesus is like, I'm not submitting to your will. That's not how this works. But then he also calls out another part of it. In verse 26, okay, Jesus answers them, right? They found him, and they're like, Rabbi, that means teacher, um, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves, right? He's like, you, 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 you've already eaten the food that I gave you and you're hungry again. So now you're looking for me. And again, he's talking about physical food here, but, but also more than that, all right? They're, they're continually seeking Jesus, right? But, but not with good intentions for personal gain. And, and, he, and he calls that out in them. He says, do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give you for on him, God, the father has set his seal. 
right? So, so he says, don't, you're looking for food that perishes. Again, physical food, but he's also dipping into some metaphor here. And we'll see that pick up throughout this whole exchange. And, and, and so he's talking about, again, physical food, but just what, what sustains you. He's like, you're seeking me because you want to fit me in somewhere to fulfill your agenda. And I want no part of it. So heeding that in verse 28, they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And so Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. This is the work of God that you believe. Okay, that, that word belief is, is massively important and it's used all throughout John, right? In the very end in John chapter 20, the whole purpose for this whole book is that we would see Jesus, that he is the son of God and that by what? Believing in him, we will have eternal life, rich, abundant, full everlasting life in Christ. And belief is, 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 is an exercise of trust. It's a, a transfer of trust. It's going all in and saying, I surrender. If you, um, in, in our church, if you remember when we've gathered together, or perhaps even right now, maybe someone asked you over to their home and you're, you're worshiping and, and someone holds their hands up again, Kids, if you're still with me, you might, you might wonder what that means, what that is. Is that just something that Christians do? Is it, you know, they're getting kind of pitted out and they just want to air, air it out right now? You know, that's, that's what you're doing. Um, no, it's, it's a sign of surrender. I, I surrender to you. And so when Jesus says, listen, seek after me and, and believe in me, it means, listen, respond to me, submit to me, and trust me, Christ says. Believe in him whom the father has sent. Okay, and so that, that posture is not, so belief is not just an intellectual ascent. Oh, I, I, I chalk it up. I, I, yeah, I believe in Jesus. You know, that's what I, I think about in, in my mind. No, it's I surrender all. I, I give myself, I give my life. I'm looking to you to sustain me. Seek Jesus toward that end with a submissive, a submissive posture. But then Jesus knows our hearts. All right. And so this next exchange that continues on there, I think reveals that outside of God's intervention, we will continue to seek him with our own agenda, right? We can even slap on some good ideas and some good intentions, but ultimately it's broken because of what's going on in here, in our hearts, right? In verse 30 through 31, how do the people respond to Jesus? Believe, right? Are they like, oh, okay, I do. I surrender all. I give you my heart, my life. No, they challenge Jesus. All right, look in verse 31. So they said to him, then what signs do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat, right? And so they're referring to Moses and they're like, oh yeah, God did all kinds of signs through Moses and gave them bread to eat. And so Jesus, what kind of signs are you going to do so that we may believe? And we might think, what do you mean? What kind of signs? We've already seen him. Uh, He just walked on water he just fed 5,000 people, many of whom are right there now demanding a sign, 
right? Now saying, do, do one more trick. Do one more thing. God, after you do this next thing, then I'll believe. Then I'll go all in. All right, and that is broken. And again, first of all, Moses didn't do any of that. And Jesus reminds them, okay, no, no, God provided for you through Moses. And Jesus begins to keep up this theme that, that actually all that was pointing to him. But again, outside of God revealing that to these people, they're gonna miss it. Even after Jesus does another sign and then another, they'll continue to miss it. And so Jesus presses even deeper in. Now skip down with me to, uh, let's go down to verse 43. Okay, so this exchange continues. But Jesus gets to the heart of their unbelief, of why they're not surrendering. And this is what he says. Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. All right. I want to, I want to press into some themes here that we'll, we'll circle back and look at some more verses, but this is a massively important theme that throughout this whole exchange, Jesus gets right into. And it's this, no one in the Greek means, wait for it. It means no one. It means that all of scripture teaches All we like sheep have gone astray, each one to his own way. There is no one righteous. No, not one. What does no one mean in the Greek? (laughs) No one. All right. No, no, it's, it's Ephesians chapter two, verses one through 10. That says that, that, that we are by nature, children of wrath. We are dead in our trespasses, our sins, right? When we just did earlier a time of confession, it means that, that, that outside of God's intervention, we are broken, sinful people. We are hopeless and helpless. And we are, we are, are, dest- are, are we, it is within our very bones to be consumed with ourselves. All right, that from the very beginning when sin entered into the picture, when, when not God, when no thanks God, I don't want my identity or my purpose to be um, in, in you. I want to find it my way. We're, we, are, we are fish swimming in polluted waters. All right, and we don't even recognize it. But when you pause and you think about it, perhaps right now is a good time. Just consider the depths of unrighteousness that I and you walk in on a daily basis. Every thought, every word, every action, every motive, even the good ones are often, most often shrouded with selfishness, with brokenness. And so Jesus explains here, listen, outside of the father doing a work, you won't surrender you won't seek Jesus. You will continue to try to squeeze him into your, my own agendas. And then Jesus says, listen, no one can come to him unless the father draws him. Now that word draw, we think of as like to woo, to encourage, to maybe clear a pathway. But the, the, the word there, again, in Greek, is the same word used over in Acts chapter 20 when the Apostle Paul is seized 
and then dragged. It's, it's this idea of being taken. And so the language here that Jesus uses is so strong. It says, listen, unless the father gets you, grabs you and, and pulls you to Christ, you, you will not come to him. And the point of this right now, okay, some of you know that our tradition, we're a part of what is known as the reformed tradition. And I, I want you to hear though, most pointedly right now, first of all, I want to affirm many other um, di- disciplines, theologies, um, different denominations still have, have an incredibly high view of God's role in salvation. In a more charismatic um, atmosphere, th- there is such an emphasis on the spirit and on the spirit doing a work and in drawing and in, 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 in leading you to salvation. So my point right now in bringing this up is not at all to get into a theological debate, right? We don't need more of that right now. It's not to just wave a flag or to convert anyone to a particular theological tribe. It's to see that salvation, as Jonah chapter two says, salvation belongs to the Lord who sits on the throne. Okay, it belongs to him that, that the work of salvation, that, that coming to faith in Christ is a, is, a, is, a, is a miraculous work of God. And I say that for a couple of reasons right now. Hear me, okay, look, look at me. If you love Jesus, it's because God has drawn you to love Jesus. If you have a, a faith in, in, in Christ, it's because he has done a work and that, that leads us to gratitude. It's, there's this thing that, um, it, it, that Christian, if we're arrogant, I believe we are contradicting the very faith we proclaim. Okay, to be a Christian should, should lead us to humility, to understanding that, that, that God has done a work that we would not have done for our, ourselves. And that leads us to humility, to, 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 to gratitude, to, to thankfulness. And, and so what would it look like for you as a Christian to live your life really practically in that way? In fact, um, circle back up with me to, uh, let's see, back up to verse 36, where now we'll just consider some of the actual everyday life implications of salvation belonging to God in verse 36. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Again, you've seen all these tricks. You've seen all these miracles. If you saw Jesus feed 5,000 people and yet you still don't believe, it doesn't that lead you to understand there's some kind of sickness, some kind of death in your own heart that you can't just overcome on your own. He says, all that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Okay. Pause there for a moment. Again, Christian, I don't, I, I wish I could see you and look into your eyes right now because I know that there are so many right now who are, who are beat down, who, who are struggling. Um, what would it look like for you to understand this good news? That if you are a Christian, you are a gift from God the Father to God the Son. 
Okay, think back to the day of your salvation. I don't know what that looked like, where it was, whether you were four or 44, all right? You were, whatever, whether you were at a conference or in your car, wherever it might've been, that, that in that moment, in the unseen realm, God the Father, from all eternity past, we're told from scripture, had it planned out that he would present you as a gift to Jesus, how does that change how you and I live our daily lives? How does knowing the second part of that verse that Jesus says, right, that I will never cast out. You're not only a gift, but you're a gift that will be protected, that has been protected, that has been sealed, signed, sealed, and delivered, that has been held onto and, 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 and protected so that right now when you and I are in the midst of this struggle, when you sin and you wander, to look at and remember, oh, that's right. God is not shaking his head at me and, and piling shame upon me. He delights over me so much that he presented me to his son as a gift. And then his son has now taken me and said, nothing. John chapter 10, we'll get into this language. Nothing will let that which has been given to me. Nothing will let you, precious follower of Jesus, be taken from Jesus's hands. Does that not free us up to when we sin, when we struggle, when our thoughts, our words, and our actions are, 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 are inconsistent with the faith that we proclaim to then see, why am I doing this? I'm looking for love over here and that never fails to let me down. And yet Jesus gave of himself for me and loves me so much that, that, that I never had to earn it then. I don't have to earn it now. I can simply return to him and say, thank you. And to now live my life as a, as a recognition of the gift that God has given to me and in recognition that God has presented me as a gift to his son. And then continue on there. We'll read um, verse 38. I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day, right? We just walked through an Advent series that talked about that last day, that beautiful, glorious, forever kingdom where, where you and I will be able to do things like run alongside the Rito and the Santa Cruz River flowing with water and we can, whatever, jump over coyotes and mountain lions and, and be in this, in this real everyday life where, where, where sin and shame is no more, where every tear is wiped away, where we are perfectly reconciled relationally to God, our Father, and we now see Jesus in person. As 1 Corinthians 13 says that, 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 that um, um, I will then know as I also am known, that now though I see as in a mirror dimly, I will see then face to face. Okay, that day is coming and Jesus says, I have already established it and I promise you, I will take you to that day. How does that change our lives? How does that practically inform every day for you and for me, for our church? So we seek Jesus with a, 
with a posture of dependence and surrender. We, we surrender to Jesus, recognizing that we are a gift given from the Father to the Son. And then finally, now this, we eat and drink Jesus. Okay, well, we can press into Jesus because we know he's good, but that does sound a little bit crazy, right? So pick up with me in verse 51. This is what Jesus says. He continues. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, I will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. What? Yeah, we're not alone there in verse 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Right, like, Jesus, you're talking crazy again. What are you, you just said you're the flesh and or you're the bread of life and no one can have eternal life unless they eat your flesh. What in the world does that mean? Well, in verse 53, Jesus said to them, right? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. So these people say, uh, Jesus, you kind of lost us there when you said to eat your flesh. And what does Jesus do? Does he try to water it down and make it easier to swallow? No, he doubles down. He piles on it. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. And we'll see next week, that's not easy. That's, it's confusing. Again, Jesus is being crazy. He's saying crazy things, unless it's true, unless he's right. Okay, he says, you, you have to eat of my flesh and drink my blood. So again, he's talking about a metaphor here. And, and just the early church was actually persecuted in part because other people, right? Rome, who tolerated every religion, persecuted Christians in part because they said they're cannibals, right? They talk about eating Jesus's flesh and drinking his blood and, and they didn't have eyes to see or ears to hear or hearts to understand. So they, they persecuted. But, but what Jesus presses in, what he means here is he's saying, listen, what sustains you? What gives you life? You can't just dabble in Jesus. You've got to go all in. You, you, he's got, you've got to eat him and drink of him in such a way that if you don't eat, if you don't drink, you don't survive. All right, that he says, my, 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 my body is true food. My, my blood is true drink, right? Jesus will nourish. Jesus will provide. What does that look like really practically? I just want to ask you right now, consider what sustains you? All right, just think for a moment throughout maybe this last week, when you were sad, what did you go to? That's what sustained you. When you had cause for celebration, what did that look like? That's what sustains you. Often we use good things, right? We've, we've, um, we've talked about this before, that, that an idol is not always a bad thing. It's taking something, anything, and making it an ultimate thing. It might be alcohol. It might be when I've had a hard day and I got home and I saw that I'm all out of my favorite, whatever, beer, wine, scotch, whatever. Well, how am I going to relax now? 
right? And, and then maybe you're fr- frustrated, you slam the, the cupboard, your wife and your kids now know, and you're like, oh, if I only had that, then I could settle in, I could rest. It could be all sorts of different things. It could be, um, it could be exercise, right? Exercise is a good thing, but it could be, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm injured right now, and therefore, since I can't do my normal workout routine, I'm gonna be grumpy, and I can't relax. I can't be my normal self unless I could do that. It can be, it can be sex. It could be a, a type of food. It could be anything that we use and we take it to make ultimate for our lives, to sustain us. And if it's ultimate, if it replaces Jesus, then it's lacking. It leads to frustration. Ultimately, it leads to death. So Jesus' call is, come to me. I will give you life. Okay, if you've ever fasted before, right? When we're looking up, we're going to be going to a time of Lent here um, before Easter. And that's a time where you give up something that would normally be sustaining to you, that would normally be, um, you know, encouraging to you. And you think, yeah, maybe this has gotten a little too essential in my life. I'll I'll give this up for a season to kind of dig in and be reoriented around the person and work of Jesus, his sustaining body, his life-defining blood. So as we now close I want to ask you a couple things to consider. Okay, three things. Seek. What would it look like for you, even this week, to seek Jesus? And consider, be open to, have you sought him with unwholesome agenda? Have you sought him to squeeze him in somewhere to make your life make more sense, right? To, 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 to strengthen your arguments or whatever it might be. What would it look like to seek him in order to surrender to him, to believe in him, to fully trust in him? How's he pursuing you? If you're not a Christian right now, is God perhaps breaking down walls, leading you to have your eyes opened, your heart softened to come to respond, to surrender to Jesus so that you can understand yourself and your life as a gift from the Father to the Son. And then lastly, eat and drink of Jesus. We're about to respond right here in a moment. We're about to take communion. And this sets us up so perfectly. We do this to remember that Jesus' body and blood through that, through his death on the cross, gives us life, gives us faith, gives us hope, gives us salvation. So we have that and we take communion with that in mind. And then also each week, we do this every week so that we remember he is who and what sustains us. We take him in, we read his word, we submit ourselves to his spirit so that we can remember that he is our true food and our true drink. He is what sustains us and leads us and drives us into all of life. Amen. Let's pray together as we respond. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We surrender to your Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask you to um, do a work in us that we've even seen here right now, your intervening work that, that, that you are not a, just a, a figure who's, who's chewing on your nails and hoping we will come to you, but you are active.
You are pursuing, C.S. Lewis referred to you as the hound of heaven. Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit and through your pursuing work, you will soften us and lead us to repentance, lead us to worship, lead us to hope, lead us to sustaining life in Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Thank you. Thank you, Dave, for that word. If you are with your family group or friends or by yourself right now, I urge you to stand with us uh, as we take part together in a common tradition in the Christian faith. Uh, whenever the gospel is preached around the world or throughout Christian history, throughout church history, uh, it demands a response. Uh, so we respond in four ways here uh, at Redemption Tucson. And those four ways are rather simple. Uh, one is in a few moments we will sing together to acknowledge whether individually or corporately that we worship God through singing. We acknowledge Jesus Christ and praise him and honor him through singing. The second way we do this is we, we pray. Prayer, we, we talk to God, we grieve, we, we pour out our hearts, we acknowledge, we, we thank, we give gratitude. We have our questions and our doubts and our concerns. We talk to God, we, we, we get in relationship with God. He hears our prayers. Fourth way is we, we acknowledge that our dependence on God financially, for health and, and, and everything else, we we. We, we, give, we give what we have to demonstrate that we do, um, we are under God's authority. And the fourth way is, as Dave was saying this morning, we, we take communion together. So if you have prepared your communion elements at home, now will be a time to get those items and come before the Lord in obedience to what Jesus Christ said on the last night of his life. He broke bread and said, this is my body taken, broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. So we take this in remembrance of him to honor him and to glorify him, to remember that one day he will return and take us to be with him. So we have those elements, take some time to respond to the gospel, what, Jesus, what, what Dave just shared as we take our communion together. God bless you.